0: Continue in a series that we've started uh, a couple months ago going through the book of Ephesians. And so we have entered chapter two. last week we covered seven verses from chapter two of Ephesians and we talked about you know our reality, your spiritual reality. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, well, let me rephrase that. If you've been born again, let me rephrase that again. if you've been saved, Okay, those are some terminology I want you to ponder, I want you to think about. Maybe you know for sure that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you know that you're confident, you know what the Bible says about it, but maybe you would say, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's okay, because we're going to clarify that today. But last week we talked about if you are saved, if you're a born-again believer, then what is your spiritual reality? And we talked through us having been uh seated in heavenly places like right now you see me but i'm actually in heaven whoa right and no no i'm not tripping right the bible says that because i'm in christ i'm in christ spiritually explain that i can't but i know that i'm in christ spiritually and christ is physically literally sitting at the right hand of god the father right now in heaven Right? You you run the logic. If Jesus was an actual person, which even the secular world agrees, He was a real person. Well, He died. Again, even the secular world believes that. But the Bible, a history book, an unbiased history book, claims through multiple eyewitnesses that Jesus was buried and then He rose again from the dead. And He was on earth. For like over a month, after He had resurrected, He's wandering around, He's he's meeting, He's teaching, He's I mean, it's miraculous. This dude rose from the dead and then He ascended into heaven. Okay, these are just the facts. You believe what you want about that, but you can't deny the reality, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And if you are born again, you are spiritually in Christ. Man, you're in heaven too. And that's kind of mind-blowing. And we're not going to go back over that, but that's kind of where we were last week. And so this week, we're going to jump into three verses, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. Go ahead and grab your Bible if you have it with you. If you don't have one and you'd like one, we have some spares laying around. Um, uh, Dan and Philip can get you some Bibles. I think there's limited... Anybody need a Bible? If you need a Bible, just be bold. There's no shame in not having a Bible. We'll get you one. Um, go to verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. These are verses that you've probably heard quite a bit. Maybe you've read them. Um, if you've gone to any other church, you've probably heard these verses as well. But we're going we're gonna to look at them and consider them this morning. What we need to do is we need to pray. Uh-oh, do we need napkins? That's what we ask. Why else would I have asked for napkins? You can blow your nose or something? I don't know, bro. Chill. Jeez. What in the world, bro? High school ministry is hostile this morning. Hey. 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 What's, the, what's the Ephesians what? Like? Chapter 2. 2 verses 8 and 9. Yeah. It, anyway, we can get napkins for Celia who spilled her drink all over the table in front. Sorry, Celia. Had to. Well, that's fine. Are we in Ephesians 2? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Well, we're getting ourselves all set up and getting napkins, potentially. Let's pray and then, um, and then we'll dive in. Okay, pray with me if you would. Father, thank you, thank you for the visitors, Lord. I I just want to put this out there that God, I was asking you for visitors earlier this week. I was asking you that you'd bring people who we don't know, people who uh, need to hear this word, and and I just, man, I, I continue to pray that those students who are here, who have been here before, or have been here regularly, or have never been here before, that God, we would see that this is not an accidental Sunday. That we're not here on accident. That you specifically planned for us to be in this space, to hear these words. And God, we have to hear from you. And and God, I, I personally just don't want to mess this up. And I'm so good at messing things up. God, I want to get out of the way. And I want you to just, I want you to just speak clearly to these people. These are your people, not mine This is your word, not mine. And Lord, your spirit has to lead us. God, would you help us to just be disarmed? You know, if there's walls that we've kind of held up so that people can't see into our lives or so that we can't, you know, be heard or be made uncomfortable, God, would you you give us grace and mercy to just set those walls aside and open ourselves up to you that you are safe to hear from? but God, you might also change our lives forever. And there's no place better than that. To be in the center of your will, to be in the center of what you have for us. God, we need you to lead us. And so, God, I'm just, I'm just, God, I'm begging you, you would move this morning and and you wouldn't let me mess it up. <laughs> God, would you have your way? Would you, would you speak clearly to us in your word here? And And um, help our hearts and our minds to engage with you, to seek you, to receive of you. We ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through nine. Let's read the verses and then we'll slow down and work our way through them. Hallelujah. So, verse eight says, "says For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God." Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So verse 8, let's look at it. By grace are ye saved through faith. So this thing of being saved that we kind of mentioned, that we talked about, being saved happens by grace through faith. So we're going to look at some of those words. And that not of yourselves. Being saved is not something that you can do for yourself. You can't do it for yourself. It is the gift of God. Okay, so before Christ, before you get saved, let's look at your your condition. If you don't know that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, or maybe you do have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, let's consider the state of your life pre-Christ, pre-salvation. Okay? Let's look at our sin. Psalm 14, verse 2-3, through 3, it says this, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. He's looking down. Is there anybody who understands God? Is there anybody who's seeking after God? They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Nobody is good. You say, what? Well, I know people who do really good things for the community and they do really good things for other people. That's true. But think about it like this, okay? If I have a glass of water and then I put one droplet of pee in it, would you drink it? (laughs) So I was like, yeah, bro. (laughs) No, you wouldn't because that is disgusting, right? Okay, well, God is completely sinless and pure. Okay, that's God's character. That's God's nature. He is pure. And so what He requires of people in His presence is complete purity, sinlessness. Okay, well, you and I, if we've sinned once, we've completely sinned. We've completely messed it up. We are impure. And we can no longer enter God's presence. Well, that stinks. You know why that stinks? Because what that means is we can't because of our sin have a relationship with God. You can't know the comfort of of the God of all comfort. You can't know the peace of the God of all peace. You can't know real purpose. You know why else that's tough? It's because when you die, which everyone will do, when you die, you will spend outside of being saved by by Jesus Christ if, if if you die and you haven't been saved, you haven't been born again, you will spend eternity in hell. That is cast into a, a lake of fire. You will spend eternity in a lake of fire. Like it's non stop fire. And you're drowning. And you're alone. Those are three of the most awful sensations I can imagine. Being alone, that's hard. Being on fire, that's terrible. The helplessness of drowning? Awful. That is what our sin earns us. Okay, let's look at another verse. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. A very common verse. Maybe you haven't heard it though. It says this. The Bible makes it very clear. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. That's easy to believe, right? Who in here has ever disobeyed God? Meaning you stole something, you lied, you disobeyed your parents. Those are things that God says, you have to do this. And we've all disobeyed that, right? Right? Who sinned the most? we all of us liars, right? Right? We're filthy, man. We're filthy. We are fully guilty of sin. And we are fully guilty of not giving worship, not seeking God, which is our purpose uh that god created us for like you were literally created to worship god and we have utterly failed right right okay let's also look at our incompetence so we looked at our sin we know that we're all tainted we're all impure none of us are worthy of entering god's presence but maybe we can do something about that right maybe we can maybe we can finagle our way into god's presence we can earn our way there well, let's look at a couple of verses. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says this, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses, say that word, righteousnesses. Let's do it again. Ready? One, two, three. Righteousnesses. Okay, all of the things that we do that we deem righteous, all of the things that we do, all of the good things we do, that in our minds will outweigh the bad things we've done. All the things we do to earn God's favor, God says, are as filthy rags. You should search what that means, because it's trifling. <laughs> and I'm not looking at it, and I'm not going to talk about it. you know what it But is? Or you're just laughing because I said trifling. Yes. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> well, if you look up what filthy rags are, you will say, Jeff is trifling for bringing that up. Are you intrigued yet? Are you writing it down? Are you going to look it up later? Filthy rags? Seth's like, no, I know what it is. I'm not looking again. Filthy rags? It was taught to me, bro. I didn't seek it out myself. Someone told me what it was and made me want to throw up in my mouth. And so the verse continues. And we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. You and I were so weak we're so incompetent. We're so gross that even the good things we do cannot earn God's favor. If there's urine in the bottle of water, how do you get the urine out? You can't. Right? You can't undo what's already been done in terms of your sin. Does that make sense? You can't purify yourself. You, you don't have a chlorine tablet that can wash that away and make it okay. Hebrews 11, verse 6, the first part says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You can't please God unless you access Him by grace through faith. So faith is going to be key for us. Understand this. We are utterly hopeless without the anchor of our hope. That's Jesus. We are completely incapable of pleasing God with our efforts and our compensations for our sin. Right? You can't make up to God. For what we've done. God isn't enter? Interest, interest, say it, interested. Interested. There it is. interested. Pray for me, please. God isn't interested in us trying to make our relationship right with him. He's not interested in that through our works. Not interested. Right? It's similar to, like, has anyone ever thrown a baseball or a golf ball through someone's window? A rock. Yeah. 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 I remember the first time I went through rocks at like a house that they were building down the street. I remember throwing tomatoes at people's cars at my grandpa's house. I remember playing baseball and I launched one and it went into the basement. No, 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 no. It was the, it was a bedroom window of the neighbor across the street. In all those instances, when you as a kid throw something into a window and it breaks and you, if you do the right thing, if you're like, you know, honorable at all you go tell them right you go up into the door and you say hey someone broke your window (laughs) and it was me right and then what do they say you might get a variety of answers but (laughs) maybe they're yeah maybe they're upset maybe they say pay for it but maybe they say okay depending on the neighbor maybe they say "Ah, it's okay uh you can help me fix it but really what's that mean They're going to forgive you, and they're going to fix the window, and you can be part so that you feel better about breaking their window, right? But you can't actually fix someone's window if you're a 13-year-old kid, right? You don't know how to do that. You don't know how to do it. Okay, that's like us. We are helpless. We We can't break what has already been broken. We're not capable of. We need a gracious, generous neighbor to do it for us and to bring us into the process. It is only by grace through faith that we will be made right with God. And this is the great gift God has given. It shows us just how giving, generous, and kind He is. So here's your key point. Number one, what we need to see is our lack. Because seeing our lack causes us to see how amazing His grace really is. I can say that God is gracious. (laughs) And on many ears, those words will fall ineffective. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't have any value. What does that mean? God is gracious. Yeah, okay. God's gracious. Yeah, good. We're in church. People say that. But before you can see how gracious God is, you have to see how incompetent, how how sinful we are before God saves us. We're incapable of, of pleasing God. But but we can be saved and we can be forgiven. And God has offered His life. He offered His life. The the Bible says that the wages of sin, you know what a wage is? You know what a wage is? What's a wage? Elijah? what you earn, right? What is the working wage or the minimum wage in America now? No, it's like Didn't they just raise it to 15 bucks? Federal employees. (laughs) Okay. Your wage is whatever you make, right? It's the it's the money that you earn for doing a job. Okay, well get this. What you earn for sinning against God, what you earn is death. Death is separation from God. Your sin separates you. But there is a gift that God gave. He came to earth. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God, the Bible says. And He comes to earth. And you know what He gives? He gives our wage. That might be confusing sounding. Here's what He did. He died for us. That death that we earned, He took. So maybe He took our wage. But it's a wage we did not want. Right? He took our penalty of sin. He took our death. So that you didn't have to die. Right? If you got sentenced to the death penalty, that would be pretty intimidating, right? That would be pretty scary. But if a man came in and said, I want to take their death penalty. I know that they're going to be executed and I'm going to be executed in their place. That would be bizarre, right? That's what God did for you and for me. Now, at salvation, that grace, that generosity, God's goodness, it's crystal clear, right? When you get saved, like some of you, I'm hoping will today. When you get saved and you see that, wow, I'm separated from God by my sin, but God wants to come into my heart and into my life because He paid for my sin, and I just have to accept that. I just have to receive the, the gift of God, salvation. I just have to say yes and abandon my sin Say no to myself and say yes to God. All I have to do is follow Him. And my life might look dramatically different. It probably will because I'm going to stop doing the things that I did before. Because those things separated me from God. And I only want to please God because He gave His life for me. Okay, at the moment that you make that decision. It's crystal clear how gracious God is, right? Crystal clear. I remember when I was 15, 16, It's 2007. In June, Pastor Sam was the guest preacher at a high school uh, camp that I was at. He's preaching, he's preaching. I'm scared because he's preaching about Jesus and he's preaching about hell. And I'm like, whoa, bro. Like, I believe Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, and rose again. But I don't know that I'm right with God. So Matthew Basham, some dude, came over and said, what's up? How are you? I said, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking through this. I believe Jesus all this stuff like I've heard that my whole life but I don't know what to do with it I don't know what to do about that so he walks me through scripture and I see that I have to confess I have to receive that gift for myself personally and I have to repent I have to turn from the life I was living before at the moment that that happened God's grace was crystal clear but you know what happens after our salvation you know what happens God's grace is great but man, now that I'm living the Christian life, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty cool. And you would never say it out loud, but you're, you're all good. You're a little bit self-righteous. I don't mean to make you squirm or uncomfortable, but we are pretty self-righteous as the church today. We think we're good. We don't need God's help. I don't need God in my life. I don't need to seek after God. I'm cool. I'm content. Our self-righteousness murks up the clarity of God's grace. Right? Let's just see that we are incapable of impressing God, but by His grace through our faith and our place in Christ Jesus, His wrath is completely satisfied. Let's be content and satisfied in that. Let's have joy that God's grace is sufficient. Right? Let's not, let's not focus on ourselves so much. And let's focus on God this morning and His grace. And if you need to be saved from your sin, come on. Consider that. Let's work through that together. Give your heart to the Lord. He's so good. He's better than anyone you will ever meet in your whole life. You can find the hottest girl or guy You can find the most generous spouse. You can find the best job with the most awesome boss. And none of them will compare to how good God is and how good God wants to be toward you. I have an amazing wife on Valentine's Day. Hey, hey, I see you, girl. (laughs) And she really is great. And I'm thankful for her. Because my life would kind of suck if I didn't have her. But I recognize she pales in comparison to how good God is. All right? Let's just see how good God is. Verse 9. Salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I want to just uh, make note of something here that the judgment seat of Christ okay, clears up our standing or boasting before God. You get saved. Then maybe self-righteousness leaks in. You think you're all good. When we get to the judgment seat of Christ, all of that will get cleared up. If you are genuinely saved, there's a lot of things that God will clear up for us. Now I want to make a note as well that your works and efforts can't save you. But we're going to transition here and we're going to see that they do matter. What you do does matter. Okay? Get saved. Receive the gift. You can't earn it. But once you get that gift, we're going to see here in a moment that you actually have to turn around and get to work. What does salvation mean? It it means you have a relationship with God, but it also means you have a purpose. It means you don't have to just sit around like a lump on a log and be depressed getting through your Zoom sessions at school or going to school and seeing all your teachers and going through the motions and just being bored and blah with life like inebriating yourself on social media every night because there's nothing else going on in your world because the only thing that can satisfy you is forgetting everything by getting wrapped up in someone else's life. You don't have to be in that state of misery. When you get saved, you get to turn around and engage in something that's eternal. And we're going to talk about it. how exciting, how exciting being a believer should be. Okay, But there's coming a judgment of all the things that you did with your salvation. You get saved, and then you turn around, and what did you do with it? Well, there's going to be a judgment that happens. And so if you're a new believer or an old believer, you need to know this or be reminded of this, that there's coming a day where the judgment seat of Christ will take place. And this judgment will be revealing. And it will be Believers will stand before Jesus Christ and He will judge the people who are saved, the people who are born again. He's going to judge what did they do for His kingdom with His gospel. What did they do? That's a scary thought. God's recording your whole life and then you roll up. And I always heard this teaching as it was a VHS. It's probably more like a Blu-ray now. Right? He'll probably put the Blu-ray in. And He's going to play back all of the things that happened in your life. And and your sin has already been judged. You're going to go to heaven. That's amazing. But, the waste, the vanity, that's going to burn up. But the moments where you invested the Word of God into the souls of men, He's going to say hey, this is good, hey, this is great, well done, right? There's going to be a judgment of our works. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8-11, through 11. here's what Paul, he, Paul kind of lays it out for us. He says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. What's that mean you are if you're absent from the body and present with the Lord? Somebody say dead. Okay, you're dead. He says, it's okay if I'm dead because I'm absent from the body, but I'm present with the Lord. Every day you're inching towards being in the presence of the Lord. Death shouldn't actually be that scary. It should be somber and it's sad when people we love and care about die, but bro, you're inching towards being present with the Lord. There's nothing more exciting than that. He says, wherefore, that's why. We labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Whether I'm up in heaven with him or I'm here on earth, I want to be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences." Here's what's going to happen. You're going to go before the Lord. And and in the meantime, man, Paul is saying that motivates me knowing that all of my my life, my life, my works are going to be judged. I want to persuade men. I want to tell people that I know, hey, you've got to put your your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because because if you don't, you're going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. And I need you to know that because I care about you and I want you to be there with me. Well, why would I why would I be so impassioned to tell someone that? Because I know they're going to spend eternity in hell, and because I'm going to spend a very intense moment before the judgment seat of Christ where He says, Hey, did you tell your parents about what I did for them? Hey, did you tell your friends what I did for them? Hey, did you tell your neighbors what I did for them? Man, I saw my neighbor, Trent, Trenton, Trent one of those. I've only talked to him like twice. And I've been praying like, okay, Lord, I really am burdened. I want him to come to our Bible study. I want him to come. But I'm like, but God, it's freezing outside and I never see him. Like how am I, you got to make this obvious for me. And I'm, I think I was like, <laughs> I was in the kitchen. Okay. And I'm looking out the window and I see Trenton out there. He we share, you know, our backyards are adjacent. And I'm like, there's Trenton. And I wanted to go out and like, you know, go get him or whatever. But I was about to take a shower. So I wasn't in a place to do that. But I saw him and I was like, hey, there's Trenton. I need to get, I need to, I need to invite him. And now I'm still thinking about it. And now I know I need to invite him. I need to bring him to our Bible study. Because if I don't, bro, God very clearly burdened my heart to get him. What if I don't? What if I don't? What's that look like at the judgment seat of Christ for me? I don't know, but I'm a little bit scared of that. Right? Got to do it. Got to do it. So here we go. Let's look at some of the people who will come to the judgment seat of Christ. Some believers, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you will simply bow and be grateful at that judgment. And if that's you, this is what your life looks like right now. These are they who are living with humbled, diligent attitudes. People who don't think they've got it all together. They don't think that they're they're, more holier, they're holier than thou, right? It's people who are just humbled and diligent, giving all they have, knowing all that's been given to them. God gave me eternal life. I owe Him everything. I owe Jesus everything. So I I don't want to hold anything back. I am indebted to Jesus. He paid my wage. Right? He received my wage. He took my penalty. We want to be that group. But there will be some believers, and maybe this is you, there are some believers who will be shocked and humbled at the great loss that they suffer. They'll get there, and a fire, God is a consuming fire, and fire will burn up all of the things that they built for themselves in this life. The nice house, the great degree, the whatever. Whatever, however you build your, I don't know how to do it, because I'm a high school teacher with one degree, so I don't really know what this looks like. But when you build up your life, and it's very successful and you have all these things but you don't invest in the souls of men all that other stuff it gets burnt up and you know what you're going to feel i invested my whole life into all this stuff and now it's burnt up what did you just do you lost all your stuff you lost it all so some will feel great loss they will suffer these are they who right now are living in an attitude of self-sufficiency and they kind of claim the, the motto, I'm good, right? And in response to a message like this, they might say, hey, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad you say all that. And, you know, that's cool for you. I'm good. No, thanks. Typically, those are people who have been in the church for a long time. Typically. Sometimes it's people who show up and <clears throat> they're just like overwhelmed. Or like, I don't know what you're talking about, but no thanks, right? And then this is this is this is the judgment. Um, there's another situation. This is what we want to avoid this morning. Um, you know, before the other two, some people are going to show up at the wrong judgment. <clears throat> And instead of showing up at the judgment seat of Christ, right, they're actually going to show up at at another judgment we see in our Bible called the Great White Throne Judgment. And uh, that's in Revelation 20. And these are they who are living with eyes blinded to the gospel, in need of seeing God for who He is and the grace He freely offers us. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that's you, guys. And your eyes have been blinded. And that's not necessarily your fault, right? But this is an opportunity for you to hear, hey, God loves me. Jesus died for me and He wants my whole life. And He wants to give me His. I need that. That's the response that you, that you have to the gospel. And it may not be this morning. It might be on Tuesday. It might be next Sunday. But, I mean, we don't actually know when, when our life ends, right? You We're not promised tomorrow. So there is some urgency here. These are they who are living with eyes blinded. So key point number two, here's how we apply all this. Be humble, know God's grace, and prepare for the judgment seat of Christ. And this is going to transition us into our last little section. I'll give you a second to write this down. This last section, which is about verse 10, that we'll talk about walking and works, right? Um, That's where we've gotta go. That's where we've gotta transition our thoughts to. Okay, I know God's grace. I know that I can't earn God's favor. But God but God Second Corinthians, what is it, five twenty one says that he hath made us to be what? Made us to be his righteousness. You know, like we are the righteousness of God. We're in Christ. Well what did Christ do? Jesus paid for all of our sin. He lived a righteous life. And if we're in Him, him, when God looks at us, what does He see? The righteousness of God in Him. Okay, so now all of a sudden, He doesn't look at me and say, Oh, you're despicable. You're filthy rags. If I'm in Christ, He looks at me and He says, Dude, forgiven. Pure. Righteous. Get to work. Right? So we're going to look at that. Verse 10. Verse 10 says... For we are His workmanship, He he made us, created in Christ Jesus, right? You were made a new creature when you were saved. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You're a new creature created for new good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He had this plan all along. So we're gonna talk about walking in good works. So now, I have a, a quote from a guy named Mark Batterson. He's a pastor who wrote a book that I'm reading, and I thought it was I thought it was compelling. So I want to share it with you. It says this I'm afraid we've cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in. Hey, I'll take that. I'll buy, I'll take grace and salvation without selling out. We've made it too convenient, too comfortable. We've given people just enough Jesus to be bored but not enough to feel the surge of holy adrenaline that courses through your veins when you decide to follow Him no matter what, no matter where, no matter when. You have the opportunity to buy in, to receive the gift of God, eternal life, a relationship with the Father. You get access to the Father. Right? His Spirit comes in you. His Spirit, which is the Comforter, it'll comfort you. It'll teach you. You can learn. You can grow in your relationship with God. That is available to you. But what is also available to you because you you might get saved this morning is you can say, I want all of that, but I want you to have all of me. I want you to have all of me. Whatever you want to do with me, whatever you want to tell me to do, wherever you want me to go, whenever, I'm yours. I'm not going to do it perfectly because I'm just a weak, you know, whatever. Whatever but I want to surrender completely to whatever you would call me to do. That's what's on the table for you. We are bought with a price and we're saved for a cause. Right? Your salvation isn't actually just about you. It's about you, for sure. But it's not just about you. I want to look at a story and then we're going to be done and and, and we'll spend some time praying in some groups, but I want to look at a story that I thought was really, really exciting and I related with, and I think maybe you will too. It's in 1 Samuel chapter, 20, uh, chapter 17, verse 20 through 29, and, and what we're going to see is that the young King David, when King David was just a boy, King David is a guy in the Bible who uh, he wrote a lot of, of portions of the Bible, he's kind of an iconic figure, he's a picture of Jesus Christ in your Bible, he, you'll see him show up a lot in the Old Testament. But when he was young, he gives a great illustration of the zeal for God's mission and glory that we, that we ought to have. So 1 Samuel, excuse me, 17 verse 20 through 29 says, and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. So you see there's a war happening, okay? And David's going down to check it out. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. Now those same words, here's what he's, he's propositioning. He's saying, our best fighter against your best fighter, whoever wins takes all, right? So he's letting them know. You see this giant, Goliath, the champion. And David heard them. David's a young boy here. He's the youngest son, right? He's just a young guy. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be, it shall be, that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So, so Saul had said, Whoever will, whoever will win this battle will take care of him. Whoever can win this battle will take care of him. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's like, what? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And the lie of his eldest brother, because this is David's older brother, right? comes into the picture heard when he spake unto the many, here's David talking, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, "'Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness?' I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So David comes out. He sees the battle. He hears that Goliath is defying the armies of God. He's talking trash on God and God's people. And David's like, what? What is happening down here? And then his big brother says, what are you doing here? I know you came down here just to see the battle. And he's insulting him. Where's your, little, where's your few sheep, right? I know you're, you're, you're proud and naughty. <laughs> <laughs> And David says this, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? He says, whoa, 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 what did I do? And is there not a reason for me to come down here and engage in this battle? In other words, what else would I be doing? What else is there? And as you may know, David ends up going on to fight Goliath and defeating him against all odds, right? And he probably sings the Tail song. I'm your big, I'm little. My head comes up to your middle. Right? No? no. Okay, sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> so David goes in and he fights Goliath and he wins. Now here's the, here's the parallel, Okay. David's cause was to bring God glory through killing a giant. Now you won't be called or commissioned in the church to go kill a giant, okay? Physically. Our cause, our purpose, is to bring God glory through being fruitful and bringing people to Christ. And so here's here's a question. Who will stand up like David In this room, who will stand up despised? People look down on you when you stand up for Christ. They do. Condescended. Weak. But just go jump into the battle. Who will do that? Who will get some fire in your heart and in your belly and pursue the lost And walk in the works that God has laid out for us to walk in. Who will say, I'm going to go wherever I need to go to find the lost people and engage them with the gospel. Who will say, whatever it takes. If I need to mentor people with another mentor, let's do it. Whatever I've got to do, sign me up. Is there not a cause? Who will say that? You were saved for that. And there's nothing more exciting than that. Is there not a cause? Is there not a mission to lay your life down for to lay hold of and be part of. School is not it. And you and I both know that. Sports are not it. Political causes are not it. What is it? What are you made for? Key point number three, and this is how we'll kind of wrap up. Walk with God. Walk in good works. Engage. Let's do it, y'all. Start that Bible study. Invite that friend. Get it going. And when you need help, text me. Come on. Text Kylie. Text Nate, Tiffany, Philip, Christina, Dan, Brenda, whatever. Brock, come on. Like we want to do this with you. You're not on your own. You don't have to be just the it's not just a one-on-one battle, right? We actually get to use the whole army in this one. And here's what we need to know, and this is, uh, w- this is what will transition us into um, some time praying. In order to effectively speak truth to people in the world, okay? You and I can't actually just say, okay, let's go. Oh, get in the car. Let's go get people, you know? I mean, we can't do that. We should. But first, we have, to, we have to pray, okay? Because if it's us and our spirit and our flesh going and doing this work, it won't, it won't happen. God's Spirit Has to do it. We have to wait on the Lord. We have to trust Him to to build the house. Otherwise, we labor in vain. Right? We're going to have to pray. So Ian Bounds wrote this once. And it's it's so compelling that I've used it multiple times. Just even recently, I've I've referenced this um, because it stands out. He said this. Ian Bounds is some guy from a long time ago that knows a lot about God and prayer. So he says this. Talking to men for God is a great thing. But talking to God for men is greater still. You see what those are? Talking to men for God. I'm telling people what God said is great. But it's even greater to talk to God for men. You're talking to God on behalf of other people He will never talk well with real success to men for God, who has not learned well how to talk to God for men. You won't be able to evangelize effectively unless you are praying. You say, I don't know how to share the gospel. Good, let's pray. I need trained in how to do it. Good, let's pray. I don't know what I'll say to start the conversation. Perfect, let's pray. That's the answer. It's not for you to be polished And have the right words. God gives that stuff to you. We need to seek Him. So let's get into groups. And uh, we'll pray through John 15 verses 1 through 5. You can just look at those verses. You can see what it's talking about. You can see what Jesus is laying out for us. And then we're just going to pray. You can pray for the lost. You can pray through those verses. We're going to spend about seven minutes just in prayer. In response to what the Lord laid out for us. Does that make sense? You know what you're doing? If you're like, I don't know how to pray, well, perfect. We can, uh, we have, there's like a bunch of adults in the back that will come forward and maybe we can find people to pray with who, who want an adult in their group. Let's do that, okay? Make sense? All right, find John 15 and then let's, let's do some praying together.